I don't know. I feel like on fifth Sundays, we need to show up a couple hours early. That way, when we finish, we're finished before lunch. So, that way we don't have to suffer. Too late this morning, though. 319 is the invitation song. 319. But too late this morning, we're just going to have to suffer. I told Wayman, we were talking, and he said, you know, we've got the best congregation of the Lord's people. I said, I think, I think that's true. I said, we for sure have the best congregation of cooks in the brotherhood. Let me tell you, I've eaten a lot of fellowship meals and a whole lot of congregations, and these are always the best. I tell you, our ladies do a wonderful job. We appreciate them for all the hard work they do and preparing the fellowship hall and, of course, bringing all those uh, good meals here. It is so wonderful. We had a wonderful time. If you will, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we want to take just a few moments and uh, look at the history, one, one uh, point in history of the children of Israel. As we notice Israel and we begin to look at some of the problems that came their way, I think one of the things we're going to notice is they were, they were looking for something or they, were, uh, you know, they needed to find something. They felt like they were missing out on something. They were looking around. And they, were, they wanted to gain something that they needed to get a hold of. But a lot of us are like that. We're all like that, aren't we? At one time or another, we've all been looking for something because something we felt like was missing or whatever the case may be. Someone might look for a husband or a wife because they feel like they have that uh, emptiness in their lives that they would like to share with someone. They look for different things, friendships, things like that. We want to form friendships and spend time together. Here's the thing that is missing in all people uh, at one time or another, all people. Not everyone wants to be married. Not everyone wants to have 40 friends, right? Some people like to be by themselves and just be alone. That's okay. I don't think that's uh, very normal, but that's, that's, some people are that way, aren't they? Uh, where they want to have no contact with anyone. But everybody, at some point in their lives, they're missing a relationship with God and they're looking for something to fulfill that hole in their lives. And that's what it is. It's an emptiness, it's a cavernous place within our beings where something is missing and we're reaching out. We're trying to fill that in some way. I mean, look around the world. You have thousands of religions. You have no telling how many cult-like organizations where people have run away from home, young people have run away from home. Uh, They've gotten involved in drug use or alcohol use or a, a thousand other things and they come upon this group of people and they feel like they're at home. Because they've been missing that, right? Maybe they grew up in a situation where home wasn't that great. And they, they didn't have the relationships. They felt like they needed it home. And then uh, they go and they find someone. When you read interviews or watch interviews of uh, those people who uh, joined in with... Uh, I just named, just slipped my mind. Charles Manson. He, he got young people. Most of them were runaways. All of them were drug addicts. And he gave them a feeling of belonging, right? And so everyone has got that feeling and they're looking for ways to feel that in, within themselves. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they understand a purpose in life, that we have a purpose in life. That we're just not treading water and just kind of going along and not really making an impact in the world. I don't think anybody uh, in the world 
just simply wakes up one day, or most people, let me say, and says, you know, I don't want to make any kind of a positive impact in the world. I don't believe that. I think most people, in whatever way, small or larger or even big, I believe they want to make an impact for the positive, whether it's just within their families, or whether it's within the community, or whether it's within the state or the world, or whatever the case may be, but they're looking for something. And I think people uh, need that feeling. I remember Elizabeth Taylor once uh, had several thousand dollars worth of jewelry stolen, and someone asked her, did you cry? She said, I'm not going to cry for something that can't cry for me. See, some people look to fill a missing place in their lives with material things, right? Well, she said, I'm not going to cry for something that will not cry for me. And I understand that. I think that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I think if, if we had all of the things that the world had to offer, and there's, there's a handful of people out there that almost as if they have all the things the world has offered, you know what? They're missing something. They're missing something if they're not Christians, if they're not uh, God's people. Now, we need to have the physical things in life, and that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that Christians need to be uh, destitute and, and opposed to any material things. And there was a sect of people that, that lived like that during the time of the first century writers. And they felt like that all material things were, were wicked and sinful and evil. Now, I don't, obviously, that's not, that's not a, a biblical precept. We read about too many people in the Bible who were blessed with way too many blessings for that to be the case. But even if they have those things and they try to fill their lives up with that, they're still missing something. There has to be something solid. It's just like when you get hungry and you go to a meal. You know, we just had a wonderful meal, but if you go in and you just eat sweet stuff, you're not eating anything substantial, you know, uh, you're going to get about half sick at your stomach, and then an hour and a half, you're, you know, you, you're hungry. You don't, you're weak, right? You didn't have anything substantial. And that's kind of what that is. We fill our lives up with things that are not substantial, and then we're still missing something. We're lacking. We're still not feeling the way that we ought to feel. We're not spiritually uh, uh, healthy, right? But we have to look for those things in the proper place. And we're going to notice Israel was doing that. They weren't looking in the, the proper place. You have to look in the right place. That's what I'm, uh, the title I've given to the sermon tonight. Looking in the right place. There's this story told. I used this illustration one time when I was in Cordova, and I've been waiting now for almost three years because I love this illustration to be able to, to use it here. It's just so humorous to me. There's a drunk, and he's standing under a street light, and he's looking around, and he's searching for something. A police officer comes by, and he says, Sir, what are you looking for? He said, I lost my keys. So he starts helping him search for it, and they're looking around, and finally he said, the police officer says, Sir, did, are you sure you dropped them right here? And he said, No, I dropped them over there, but I can't see over there. I can see right here. It's difficult to look in the dark, right? It's easy to look right here. And that's one thing about looking in the right place. It's easy to look in all the wrong places. Right? It was easy for the lost son to go into the far land because he had no restrictions. He didn't have anyone telling him, well, now, son, you shouldn't do that. Or son, you need to think about this. Or you need to try to uh, head your life in this direction. You know, it's a lot easier when we're young to be able to ignore that and go somewhere else, right? How many of us here wouldn't give any earthly possession that we have to talk to our fathers or our mothers one more time, right? 
get one more little piece of advice. I can remember growing up, I just, you know, I'd come home, my dad was always training me. Even when I didn't realize it, and I'd come home and he'd be starting, I'd be thinking, oh, no, here we go again. You know, Elton Hayes lived as long as he has. He, anyone that's it's, it's not smart as he is, right? Well, the older I got, the smarter my dad got. And now I look back and I think, you know, I just want one more conversation. Because I, I, I would write down the real important things, and man would talk about it. And I'd be set, right? You know, it's, uh, I, I remember when my dad passed away the following summer. He died in January. And that following summer, we were in Memphis, and we were putting out a garden, and I was having some kind of a problem in the garden. I said, man, I need to call Dad see what... Oh, I can't do that. You know, And that goes on for a while, doesn't it? But see, we're looking for something. We need to look in the right place. We don't need to be like the drunk who lost his keys. He's looking where it's easy. Sometimes it's difficult to look in the right places because we have to give up certain things. We have to go through certain barriers, don't we? But that's what we need to do. Uh, Solomon is very famous for looking in all the wrong places, wouldn't he? Solomon tried it all. Wine, women, and song, right? He did everything, and he did it to the excess. He wanted to know what his purpose was in life. Why am I here, and what am I supposed to be doing? Well, the problem was he knew exactly why he was where he was, and he knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing, but somehow, somewhere along the way, he allowed that to escape him. And so he carried out what we might call an experiment. He tried it all. He said, there's got to be a place for me in this world. And all along he had it right in his hands. And you know what? He was never able to fill that empty place until he came to the conclusion. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning with verse 13. He, uh, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon said all those things in which he engaged, that he tried to decide if it was material things, if it was immoralities, if it was whatever, any kind of a sensual pleasure, physical pleasure, he tried it all. He said, it's just empty. You know why he said it was empty? Because it made him empty within himself. He didn't have anything. He was like the person that sat down at the table every evening and he ate nothing but junk, junk, junk. You know what happens after a while? You just die, right? You just die. You, your body can't sustain that. You can't do anything. You got to have. You have to have something substantial, something to help you. And that's why he felt empty. It was empty. It was vain. That's what vain means, isn't it? Because he was empty and he was searching for something. Now, I want us to learn... A little something from, from, from one of, you know, I, I think about Exodus 32, and I think that's the worst thing that they could have ever done. I don't know. And I go back and, you know, I think about the times of the judges, and I think, man, that's the worst thing. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what the worst thing is, but I know this is a terrible thing. We look in Exodus chapter 32. We read about how Moses went up onto the... Uh, mountain because he knew and the people knew that God would bring them out of Egyptian bondage and right before uh, Joseph died he told them you'll bury my bones here in Egypt 
but God will deliver us. He will visit us. And then you take my embalmed body. And they did that. They took his embalmed body in the coffin and took him to the promised land and buried him. Genesis 50, 24 through 26. Now here is the issue. This is what caused all the problem or got it going again. After Joseph died, the history of God's people continues with a statement, Exodus 1 verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. No longer were they going to enjoy the benefits of Egypt. They were given the best places to graze their animals. They were treated like uh, uh, family members of the king and now it was all different. Now there arose a king who, who didn't know. He knew Joseph. He didn't care anything about Joseph. He didn't... He didn't like the things Joseph had done, so he turned on the people of Israel. They began to beat them. They laid burdens upon them. A lot of people died from it. And so they just simply became slaves. Now, his people were to continue to looking for God and to continue looking for God in the right places. And that's what he expected, even during that 400 years in captivity. Now, at no time did God ever forget His people. Not not at any time. But, by them being in Egypt, that fulfilled two promises. They were going to be oppressed by a foreign nation, and they would become a mighty people down there. And that's what happened. And He would bring the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt by the hand of Moses, and they would march on into the promised land, and He would give them their inheritance. Now, As they were doing this, as all of this was unfolding, after ten plagues that came upon Egypt because Pharaoh would not bow himself before the God of heaven, finally they invited the children of Israel to leave. They're marching through the desert. They come up to the Red Sea. Moses stretched out the rod of his hand and they crossed over onto the other side. And then when the Egyptian army came into the Red Sea, he stuck out the rod that was in his hand and they were uh, consumed with water and they were destroyed. You would think that made an impact on those people. You would think that by seeing something so magnificent, but that's not how we get faith, is it? All the miracles in the world, all the miracles ever recorded for us, they do not produce faith. Hearing the Word of God produces faith, and they were rejecting God's Word all along. They were rejecting it. Now, when we look at them coming out of there and they're headed toward where they're going, they began to complain. That brings us up to Exodus 19.20 and that's when Moses climbs the mount. He goes into Sinai and there he's going to receive the commandments from heaven. And as he was receiving the law from God, Exodus chapter 32, some things began to happen at the foot of that mountain. You see... Moses was gone and Israel was looking for something. They were not looking in the right place. They began to look in all the wrong places, didn't they? Aaron, knowing better, fashioned a calf out of gold. And when he presented that calf to the people, they began to worship it. Now, they had lost something. They weren't looking in the right place. And so what I want us to be able to look at and understand today, when we look somewhere other than the right place. We may be getting something we think is great, right? You sit down, the first meal or two of supper, when it's just cake and ice cream, that's really good, isn't it? But after a while, not so good. You know, 
Kind of reminds me of the story of Hansel and Gretel, right? They got to that house made out of candy and sweets, and they were starving, and boy, wasn't it good. Well, if that's what your diet is, after a while it gets where it's not so good. So they were looking for something. They wanted comfort. They were there. They felt like they were alone. But you know what it brought them? Compromise. That's our first point. They were looking for comfort, but it brings compromise. When you look for something, you're not looking in the right place. You'll get it. You'll get something. But often instead of comfort, it's compromise. And we see that happening to the people. And what was the problem? The problem was they were ignoring God, wasn't it? They were ignoring God. They were looking more to themselves. They were focusing on a man instead of on God. You remember what they said? They said, that man Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt. Listen, Moses didn't bring them out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. He allowed Moses to lead them. And somewhere along the way, as they were traveling through that desert, they had forgotten about the comforts of slavery. And they wanted to go back to it. Doesn't make sense, does it? Numbers 11, 1 through 6. You know, God has supplied humanity with a short memory in some areas, right? And that's a good thing. That's good in a lot of ways. Something bad happens to us, we can overcome it, we can kind of forget about it, and we just move on. But that's not good in the religious realm, right? We have to find enjoyment in God. We have to find His commandments, and we have to continue in them. But they ignored God. In one way they did it, it, instead of looking inward, they were looking outward. They had to have something physical to touch, right? They told Aaron, make us a God. And you know what? He knew better than that. But he made, the, he made the calf. They brought it out. They began to worship it because they needed to look at something, right? But what Paul say? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, We walk by faith and not by sight. They wanted to touch something. Here is the reality of worshiping God. We can't see Him. He's invisible. We can't touch Him. He's a spirit body. You know, that's what people who who try to prove and discredit the Bible. You know, you can't put God in a test tube. You can't put Him in the, uh, you know, run an experiment on Him in the lab. God is absolutely present in the world, but you can't see Him, you can't touch Him. And that's why Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not having to be, we're not having to hold an actual hand of God and be led through the world. See, that's what Israel wanted. They were looking inward. And they were looking in, or looking outward. And they were looking outward because they were insolent. You know, that's just a hateful uh, disposition, isn't it? The word insolent means insulting, contemptuous in speech or conduct, or overbearing. They wanted to worship against something they could see. They weren't happy to worship the invisible God of heaven. You know... That happens in the religious world today. We look at a lot of different uh, religions in the world and really idolatrous. The Catholic Church is a, is a religion of idolatry. Have you ever been in one of their temples? Well, they have more idols in their temple than, you know, they have as many idols as, as the nation of India does. And they're straight up, I tell you, they're idol worshipers. They, they worship thousands of different gods. But that's what happens. There are a lot of denominations like that. And they... 
and people look to something they can ch- touch and they'll change things, right? Well, God, you can't see Him. He's invisible. And he says, do this, but I like this better. I want to I use the instrument and I want to worship God in that way. And, you know, I like music. I like music. I don't know anyone who doesn't. I like music, but I like it in its place. I like it in the parameters God has given to me and given to the world. I love to listen to my girls play music. I don't, we don't play uh, gospel songs. When we worship God, we're to worship God with the fruit of our lips. And that's what God says is good. See, we need to keep in mind, God's the audience, right? I'm not the audience. Someone says, well, it makes the singing sound good. Well, according to who? You know, I'm thankful that we don't have to have good singing voices because I'd miss out, right? I love to sing, I'm just not very good at it. And so, but I offer up what God likes. It's just like a burnt offering. It smells terrible, but it's a sweet savor to God. He says it smells good. doesn't matter what I think. And so, we want to touch something solid and something we perceive as real. So, who is that in this world? That's, that's us, isn't it? So now we begin to rely upon ourselves. And that's what Israel was doing. They relied upon themselves. <clears throat> See, this behavior brought compromise instead of comfort. They were looking for something. They weren't looking in the right place. But it also brought guilt instead of glory. That's our second point. They wanted, they, you know, there's nothing more glorious than worshiping the God of heaven. And they were doing it all wrong. They weren't doing it according to His standards. They had become corrupt in their actions. So instead of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, they were worshiping God not in spirit and certainly not in truth. They were worshiping a golden calf. Now, think about God revealing to Moses what's going on. Moses, you better get back down to the foot of the mountain. We've got a problem. Moses goes down. He sees what's going on. He becomes angry at this insolent bunch of people. He throws this, uh, his Ten Commandments down. You know what God told him? He said, I'm going to destroy everybody. And I'm going to raise up a nation in your name. How do you believe that might have uh, uh, affected us today? God was testing Moses. What would have happened if God had destroyed Israel and said, I'm going to raise up a new nation to you, Moses, where was Shiloh, Genesis 49.10, the Messiah, was supposed to spring from the tribe of Judah. Moses was from the tribe of Levi. If Israel had been destroyed and Moses was the only one left, where are we at today? No hope. Can't even begin to think about a way to uh, escape sin. Can't even think about a way of being with God in eternity. See, God was testing Moses, and it was as much a test of Moses as it was a show of anger toward Israel. What if Moses had failed that test? But see, by putting him through that test, God was training Moses on to handle a a group of people, of two and a half to three million people who were complaining constantly, who were never happy about anything. Have you ever known anyone like that? Someone who was stubborn, nothing looked good, nothing looked right, the food's never good, the weather's never right, it's too hot, or it's too cold, it's too dry, it's too rainy. Now I'm not talking about myself, I fit that a lot of the time. 
But you know, some people never have a good day, do they? And that was kind of the nation of Israel. So God was training Moses, and He was testing him, but He had passed a similar test earlier. God told Moses that Israel was a stiff-necked people. They were stubborn. They would not give themselves over to God. And they were corrupt, and they craved the physical over the spiritual. They wanted something physical, and that's the problem with the world today. They're always looking for something physical in this material world. Look, God is not physical. God doesn't reside within time. This is just a little blip on the radar screen in, in reference to God, and we don't make any difference in the world uh, in reference to God. He is the all-powerful being, and we need to make sure we please Him. The physical doesn't even enter into it. If we're going to find God, we must do it by looking in the right place. But God has shown us the exact way to find Him. He pointed us in the right direction. He showed us where the right place was. He sent Christ into the world. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. And all we have to do is to simply have faith through obedience and God will save us. You know, all that's necessary, isn't it? We have to have faith. That's necessary. We have to have the whole plan of salvation. That's necessary. We went in depth about that this morning. Faith and repentance and confession. You know, uh, baptism. But here's the problem. The denominations of the world are not looking in the right places. They want to worship God. They want to be saved. But they want to tell God how to save them, right? We can't do that. God's given us something. All we have to do is accept it and we can't change it. Someone dies, leaves you in their will, you go over, you go to accept the inheritance, and they say you get X, Y, and Z. They say, well, I, I don't, I want A over here. Well, you can't have that. Well, but that's what I want. That's what I like. I think that sounds better. That looks better. That's more convenient. Well, that's not what the will said. You get X, Y, and Z, you don't get anything. Now, you don't have to accept it, but that's what the lawyer will say, won't it? Here's what you're allowed to have, and you can't have anything beyond that and you can't just take part of that if you want the inheritance you take the inheritance you do what you want to with it because once you receive an inheritance you can throw it away can't you you can obey God and become a Christian and stop looking in all the right places and simply throw that gift of salvation away if we choose it's up to us it's our battle to, to, to wage and to fight and we can do it however we want to Instead of looking to God, Israel gave themselves to a golden calf who would not cry for them, who did not care for them, and had no feeling whatsoever about them being in the process of losing their eternal souls because they were being corrupt to an idol. Their behavior brought them guilt instead of glory. Finally, we notice that their behavior brought to them destruction instead of deliverance. What was the whole purpose? What were they upset about? Moses went up on the mountain. He'd been there for 40 days, and then they began to complain. Here this man Moses brought us out into this wilderness. What would you do? You brought us out here to die. We need deliverance, right? That was the whole point. That's what they wanted when they were in Egypt was deliverance. So God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land, or He was on the way to come into the promised land. They stop, Moses goes and gets the law of God written on tablets. They begin to miss him. They don't know what's going on. They're looking for something. They want deliverance. 
they're not looking in the right place. So instead of deliverance, they received destruction, right? Because of the Egyptian influence of idol worship, the Israelites thought they would realize salvation through this golden calf. And so they worshiped the creature instead of the creator. That's a problem, isn't it? And that's something Paul warned the brethren about in Rome. He went on to tell them in Romans chapter 1 that they worshiped the creature instead of the creator. They knew God, but they didn't honor God. They built something that looked like the things around them. Do you recall specifically, Paul said that God demanded of them, don't worship any kind of an emblem, any kind of a statue. He talked about the stars, the moon. He said four-footed beasts. And he went on and gave a whole list of things. What was Israel doing? They sacrificed to a God fashioned after the likeness of a four-footed beast. Specifically mentioned. That was an all-inclusive list, but it, it means anything, right? And they, but they chose one of the very things that God named. And, and Paul said that those were examples for us, 1 Corinthians 10, 6-8, that you neither be idolaters or anything else, you'll fall in the wilderness just like the Israelites. Now, as Moses and Joshua descended the mountain, Joshua heard the noise going on. He thought a war was breaking out. He thought there was a battle being waged, and Moses said, no, they're singing. They're singing. So he goes down. He sees what they're doing. He's, they're dancing. They're involved in all kinds of things. He threw those tablets down. He broke them. But you know what? The people weren't ready to receive the written Word of God, were they? Now, they had received it orally, but they weren't... They weren't ready to receive and have the honor of holding God's Word or looking at God's Word and having it something other than just passed from mouth to mouth, right? From mouth to ear. You know what an honor it is and a privilege it is to have a Bible? You can go throughout the world and there are people all over the world that have never even seen one. When I went to the jungles of India, we had to take in some Bibles. Nobody had a Bible. Why they need a Bible? They never heard about Christ. They never heard about the true God of heaven. So we had to take Bibles in, you know, and, and it was hard to get them in, in that particular language. We had about four. You know how many people live in a psalm? Millions. And we went and we have four Bibles written in that Assamese language. But they weren't ready for that. They didn't appreciate that. They didn't appreciate what God had done. So you know what? Moses did. Moses said, okay. You want to worship this golden calf? I'll tell you what. He burned it up. He pounded it into dust. He put it in the drinking water. He said, drink your God. He made him drink it. Can you destroy God? No, but you can destroy the, the creation, can't you? And that's what he did. And because... Their faith was gone. We can't do what we want to to be saved. We have to do what God wants us to do. Instead of realizing salvation, in fact, they received punishment. They were destroyed, weren't they? Moses asked, he said, Who's on the Lord's side? All the Levites gathered together and they went and they destroyed those people. Paul talked about that. He said they sat down and they rose up to play. They invaded and evolve themselves in fornication and all kinds of things. But punishment is what happens 
when we do not do the things God asked us to do. Paul talked about that. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, about how Jesus would return with his angels with a flaming fire in his hands, taking vengeance on those who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we go to the to the jungles of India with four Bibles because that's all we can get our hands on in that language. People who've never heard of God because God will destroy those people who don't know Him. So we go there. We try to deliver them the the gospel news, the good news, because He's going to destroy those people when He comes back because God expects obedience. And those who choose not to obey, they'll be destroyed as well. When we look for God, we have to do it in the right place, right? We have to do it in the right way. Israel wasn't doing that. They were looking for God. They were searching for something because they felt empty inside. But just like Solomon said, you can try all these different things, but ultimately it's empty, it's vain because you're empty and you're vain. It's not fulfilling, it's not substantial, right? We can't live unto ourselves, we can't be our own God, we can't uh, live our lives in just simply the way we want to. If we want to attain heaven, we have to do it God's way. When they did that, they didn't receive comfort. No, they didn't receive comfort at all. It brought compromise. They compromised themselves. They didn't receive glory for worshiping God. They received guilt. They didn't find deliverance. They, they felt like they were all alone. They didn't find deliverance. They were given destruction. When we look for God, we have to do it His way, in His way. Period, right? We have to humble ourselves and and understand what He wants and what He expects. And listen, it's not difficult. The difficult part, God's plan of salvation is not difficult. The difficult part is humbling ourselves, repenting and giving ourselves to Him the way He wants. If you haven't done that, or for some reason you've gotten off track much like Israel did. Israel knew all about God, but they, they, they gave it all away, didn't they? That happens today. Sometimes we give it away. We don't need to do that. We can get it back. We have to repent, confess, ask God to forgive us, and He will. If you have need, answer the Lord's invitation at this time. If you're searching for something, and you haven't been searching in the right place, let's look in the right place. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.